I'm only talking to you because I want something out of it. I have to control you in this conversation, but not in a way that makes you feel yourself controlled. I gain fuel from your responses, but you and I don't know one another. So you're what's known as a tertiary source in my fuel matrix. Now, this is a good one. Well, they're all good ones, aren't they? But sometimes one comes along that I think would be a great advert for the show. So if you do want to introduce On the Edge with Andrew Gold to a friend or family member, now would be an optimal time. It's H.G. Tudor on the show today, and he is a psychopathic narcissist. And he'll explain exactly what that is in the interview. But I'm sure many of you have an idea. This reminds me of a couple of classic episodes of On the Edge that I did with psychopaths, M.E. Thomas, two episodes with her, and Dr. James Fallon, the neuroscientist who realised he was a psychopath when reviewing his brain scan. Unlike them, H.G. Tudor is British, or at least sounds it, and has something of an upper-middle-class accent. We talk all about narcissism, empathy, how to leave a psychopath or narcissist, how to rile one up, and everything else you might want to know. There are discussions about Meghan Markle and Tom Cruise and whether they might be narcissists like H.G. Tudor. Does he feel a kinship with them? But also, things get a little unnerving for me as H.G. Tudor takes me through the thoughts behind his thoughts or the the meta explanation behind everything he does in communication with me and how he might get fuel, as in gas, from me. I can't see him in the call as he protects his anonymity, so I feel quite observed throughout the whole thing. And I wonder if that will sort of filter through to you guys listening. Do let me know. Follow HG Tudor to learn more about narcissism and psychopathy on his namesake YouTube channel and get hold of his books. The links are in the show notes. By the way, totally unrelated, I've had a bit of a technical bug where it has played a particular advert on the podcast many times consecutively. Um, I will read out a review from an angry person about that at the end of this podcast today. And I do apologize. The ads, as in their insertion and how they get put in, is beyond my control. Uh, It's done sort of uh, somewhere inside somewhere. But I have raised the issue internally and they've assured me they'll try to do what they can to sort of separate those out a little bit if you like this as i say please share it around subscribe on youtube for the videos and sign up on patreon.com slash andrew gold to help support it leave a review on apple please coming up are episodes about corruption in the world cup and finally that episode on child sacrifice has been recorded it took a long while to get that done and it's coming out very soon but now you're on the edge of narcissism with hg tudor H.G. Tudor, welcome to the show. What is a narcissist? A narcissist is an individual that has a personality disorder and seeks, uh, through what I explain, what is known as the prime aims, which is control over people, fuel, character traits and residual benefits. Now, there are more expansive explanations about what how people behave, uh, what all of that means. But essentially, that's what a narcissist is, an individual that sees the world in a different way and subconsciously seeks those prime aims. 
How do you know so much about narcissism? Well, I am one. So I have been diagnosed as having narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. So that the hybrid that I am is a narcissistic psychopath. And I have spent a long time observing the behaviours of those around me who are also narcissists, members of my family, people that I've worked with, people that I've had you know, interactions with over a considerable period of time. And the way that my narcissism has evolved is that it gives me insight into my behaviours and that of other individuals also. And therefore, I am in a position to speak about it in such detail with uh, such clarity. So does that imply that it's a genetic thing? Are psychopaths and narcissists made or do you become one? Well, a narcissist is made and there are two components to that, Andrew. The first is a genetic predisposition towards being a narcissist. So that has to exist. And then that person has to be subjected to what's known as a lack of control environment. And that could be anything from being physically abused, emotionally not supported, uh, witnessing a, a terrible and traumatic event, uh, being told that you're fantastic and wonderful at everything, when actually you're not. So you grow up in a gilded environment. Lots of different types of lack of control environments. So for the creation of the narcissist, one has the genetic predisposition, the ingredients for the cake, as I often explain, and then the environment, which is like the oven. And you need to be in the oven at a particular temperature for a particular duration of time with those ingredients, and thus narcissism is created. What was your particular oven like? Um, my oven was a combination of three things, in effect, all of which lack of control environments. I was subjected to physical abuse, I was subjected to sexual abuse, and I was subjected to what I call grade B syndrome, which is basically you climb a hill and there's another hill behind it. So you score two goals, why didn't you score three goals? Uh, you scored 75% in examination, why didn't you get 80%? So no matter what you achieve, it's never quite good enough. And so did you feel yourself changing? than becoming a narcissist? No. Um, I've always known, for instance, that I've been set apart and different from people, but I don't actually recall there being a particular uh, metamorphosis of me being something and then becoming the narcissist. In a way, I think, because of course there's a period of time that I just simply can't remember uh, when I was so young, and that would have already, the process would have already started taking place. So I can recall certain events which I think, for instance, may well have contributed to what occurred. But in terms of how I felt, it wasn't a case of there being a before and after moment. So what's the difference between narcissism and psychopathy? And I gather you've got both of these. Narcissism is narcissistic personality disorder, and psychopathy isn't an actual diagnosis. It's antisocial personality disorder. So uh, there are similarities between the two, um, but some of the key differences, for example, are that with the psychopath, there is the absence of anxiety. There is the processing of fear is different. There is also the fact that psychopaths uh, can act as loners, whereas narcissists really do need other people. As a hybrid, I need fuel, which is what I describe the reactions and responses of other people, which in effect fuel me, they power me. Um, I don't need those as much as a pure narcissist does, so I can spend considerable periods of time on my own. Uh, with a psychopath, a lot of the time there is a prevailing boredom. So part of what 
I deal with is a delight in playing with people, drawing them in and making them mine, and then playing with them to alleviate boredom. I get bored very quickly by things. Do you feel like doing that with me? No, at the moment you're managing to hold my attention, so well done you. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, I'm talking about myself, so that's quite a a topic Uh, that I'm quite quite content to embrace. But with the psychopathy, it's very much both narcissists and psychopaths see people as objects. Um, But there is – narcissists have an emptiness inside of them, and they fight against it. And narcissists experience fear, and they experience anxiety. And their narcissism drives them to get validation from people, to gain fuel from people, for the purposes of fighting that emptiness. Psychopaths embrace the emptiness. They are content to be this individual that's devoid of many feelings and don't need the interaction with people as much. There is a greater level of callousness associated with it. And I'm a hybrid of the two as narcissistic psychopath so i need to have involvement with people for the receipt of fuel i don't experience fear nor anxiety um i generally don't like people i find that they get in the way but they are there and there's a lot of them on the planet so one utilizes them to the best of one's advantage but you're able to i mean we've already seen you're able to have a laugh and and that's enjoying being around someone is that not liking someone no my interactions with people are entirely self-serving so I recognize, for example, that it serves me when I speak and when I do my videos on YouTube to utilize a particular cadence and uh, accentuate certain words to enable me to fit in. And similarly, humor. Because of my intelligence, I am quick-witted. But a lot of the time, I find many things particularly banal and pointless. But I recognize that certain things are deemed humorous. And I recognize that and the speed of my mind enables me to capture that and use it. So I don't have a lot of instinctive emotional responses to things it's learned so i exhibit a sense of humor why because it enables me to draw people into me it enables me to use them it enables me to get what i need from them but i don't have a sense of humor for the sake of having a sense of humor i am polite and courteous when i conduct my consultations with people i'm not inherently polite and courteous for the sake of that i'm doing that in order to control people so my driver behind my behavior is linked to the pursuit of what serves me well i remember i interviewed um, a linguist called professor lira boroditsky and i really like what she said when i asked her what is language what what is it and she thought for a while and then she said manipulation uh because we all use language to get someone to do something whether it be you know reassure us about something or to move a, a rock to a certain place or make us dinner or whatever it is uh so to what extent are we all like you, but you're more honest with yourself? Well, I don't necessarily think that all language is linked to manipulation because there might be instances where you're talking to yourself or, for instance, you're singing a song and uh, you're just doing that because you enjoy singing and there might not be anybody else around you. The point is that <clears throat> there are certain things that I will do which don't involve other people and therefore that is not governed by my narcissism. So if I'm thirsty, I pour myself a drink of Voss mineral water because I'm thirsty. That's nothing to do with my psychopathy and it's nothing to do with my narcissism. I'm just thirsty like you are. However, should my girlfriend appear perspiring from a run, 
she i recognize she's thirsty i recognize that i could control her by offering her a drink of water i don't offer her a drink of water because i care i create the appearance of caring and she thanks me oh thank you hg her response gives me fuel and demonstrates she's under control you don't behave that way you would offer that person a drink because you're kind i do it to create the appearance of it now there will be instances all people can manipulate all people can manipulate of course they do but my kind do it as a matter of survival and thriving it's inherent in what we do everything we do when it involves another person or the contemplation of another person is a manipulation i'm manipulating you now by talking to you by answering your questions you don't feel manipulated because you're thinking well you're asking questions i'm answering them so it's a, it's a productive exchange between the two of us but for instance i'm only talking to you because I want something out of it. I have to control you in this conversation, but not in a way that makes you feel you're so controlled. I gain fuel from your responses, but you and I don't know one another, so you're what's known as a tertiary source in my fuel matrix. But that's that's similar to everyone you, you ask on a podcast. You know, the, the big names will often not reply or come back because it doesn't really serve them to come on a podcast that is not enormous, whereas they would say yes to Joe Rogan, say, because they'll get 11 million views. So that is all of us to an extent. Well, there is a cost-benefit analysis of, of you've got so much time in the day, how can I best use that? Um, but they don't live their lives through that continued form of manipulation. So everybody has to, for instance, have a degree of selfishness. Because if you didn't, your house would be overrun by refugees, you'd be out of food and money, and you'd be giving everything away. So there comes a point, and everybody has differing levels of selfishness. And some people are much more generous than others, and other people are entirely selfish. So you have that spectrum of different empathic and narcissistic traits amongst people. But amongst the narcissists, our narcissism operates to ensure that we get those prime aims that I mentioned earlier, and that means we have to manipulate people to do it there. There is no altruistic behaviour. It's all self-serving. Even though it might not appear it, it is self-serving. What if, like, yeah, if you see videos of, say, and I, I guess I'm now leaning towards the psychopathic tendencies, you see videos of, like, animals, animals suffering and being tortured and things like that, does that have no effect on you? No. I dislike animals. Ah. What about humans or anyone? Well, if they put themselves in that situation, more fool them. <laughs> well, if somebody came and like took your family member and tortured them in front of you, would that would that get you a bit? If I deemed that it would serve my purpose to prevent their torture, they wouldn't get near that family member. I would prevent it. Not because I care about them, but I may, for instance, recognise that could cause a problem for me. But if, if I deemed that it was appropriate to let them be tortured, it wouldn't upset me because I have no emotional empathy. The only area where it would cause a problem is if it would affect my notion of control. So if I thought, if I recognised that the torture of, let's say, my brother was something that impacted upon me because it demonstrated that I was unable to protect an asset and I deemed my brother to be an asset for whatever reason, that if someone intercepted him and tortured him, that would affect my notion of control and I'd have to nullify it, i.e. potentially go to his rescue. If I deemed that that would not be the best use of my resources, then I could let him be tortured and because I've deemed that it's not appropriate, therefore I have jettisoned him and therefore nullified that threat to control also. But I'm not compelled by an emotional response to think, oh my goodness, my brother's being tortured, I must save him. 
A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. You spoke of your cadence. Is that is the is your voice uh, affected for the sake of anon- anonymity and and sort of a and a well, I suppose it's an allure, a, a, you know, a, a, an enigmatic voice. Well, this is my natural voice. It doesn't go through a voice changer. I some, I occasionally alter my pronunciation of certain words to throw people off the scent a little bit. Um, also, I have learned to, as I mentioned earlier, affect cadence and accentuation and an emphasis in order to make the listening experience more pleasant. Otherwise, it would be just speaking in essentially a monotone. Do you have friends that you hang out with go for drinks with and stuff yes i do i have a i have several friendship groups um, all of whom regard me as a good egg albeit with a bit of edge so because they're my friends what i would call a non-intimate secondary sources in my fuel matrix they serve a purpose to me so i've provided them with assistance i make them laugh i let them come and stay uh, i take them to my box at the football that type of thing and so because I deem that it's appropriate for me to manage that facade of being good chap. 
but I wouldn't hesitate to cut one of them loose if I deemed that that was appropriate. And so does that suggest that, you know, all of us, most of the listeners and viewers now have potentially quite close friends and we're not aware that they might be narcissistic psychopaths? Possibly, albeit I think that you would start to notice certain, uh, there might be certain aspects of the behaviour that you might pick up on, but with particularly evolved ones, you would probably not realise. It would depend upon the amount of time that you would spend with them, but if you only intermittently did so, you may have no comprehension at all as to that person, and you would think, yeah, uh, he's occasionally a bit full of himself, but that might be it, or he's a little bit glib about certain things and arrogant or or sometimes you might find oh, his reaction wasn't you know I, I told him that my wife had left me and he didn't really seem to bother that much um you might think it's a little bit off but for the most part unless you're dealing with uh, a, a narcissist that doesn't really operate any kind of facade you wouldn't really recognize what you're dealing with because you're not exposed to us often enough to see the repeated breaches of the facade and of course the behaviors that a narcissist will typically dole out to somebody behind closed doors where there's no need for a facade many people often will say oh derek is a good guy yeah he he goes on a little bit but other than that not a bad chap not realizing that when derek's at home he's absolutely awful to his wife because she is painted black she affects his sense of control his narcissism dictates that she's an unreliable treacherous appliance and she must be punished for it and so he gives her long silences he might be physically violent towards her he may smash up the house depending on the type of narcissist that he is nobody else sees that because it's mild-mannered church-going pillar of the community derek out there when he operates a facade is this all on a spectrum so do you have a tiny bit of empathy sometimes and then some people have more or less than you no there isn't an ounce of emotional empathy i have cognitive empathy i've learned to recognize and understand what the appropriate response is in certain situations so for example i recognize that if an old lady falls down in the street and isn't moving she probably needs some help whether i'll give that help to her depends on whether it suits me or not but i don't have an immediate response like somebody who has emotional empathy who'd immediately dart over there i calculate is it appropriate for me to involve myself a lot of the time i find instances such as that irritating because there's almost the sort of people expect you to do something about it and i think well why should i i here's the thing there 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 definitely is and i think i mean you were touching on this before there definitely is um there's a lot of false empathy that especially nowadays people have to show that they have more empathy than they have it's become like a status symbol um because there's and I try to be honest because I I believe I'm I'm an empath. I get really upset when I see like animals or people being hurt. I get I can't even stand on a spider partly because I'm scared, partly because it, it makes me emotional to like kill a thing beneath my foot, which is silly. And I know how silly that is. Um, and yet, if someone I, there is a tiny voice in my head when something like that happens, an old lady falls in the street. There, I, I, well, maybe it does. I don't know. Actually, I'd have to be there. But I feel like I'd be very worried for her. But also, I'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm in a rush, and now I've got to go and do this. Do you know what I mean? Well, again, it comes back to the point that I made earlier, Andrew, that you have to have a degree of selfishness in your behaviours, otherwise, you wouldn't get anything done. But the difference is that you might begrudge having to help because you've got a demand on your time, but you know that you ought to. Whereas I 
don't deem that I ought to. It's simply a case of, do I deem that it's appropriate for me because it fits in with what I require? So if I was with my girlfriend and I deemed that it would be appropriate to maintain control over her by helping Mrs. Miggins, who's collapsed on the floor, then I would do so. If I was on my own and I was late for an appointment, I'd just step over and carry on. Really? Wow. That's an Im- that makes for an image, doesn't it? Well, indeed. And that's the point to drive home, that I don't have an ounce of emotional empathy in my body. I can fabricate it, and I have to fabricate it in order to fit in. Because as I repeatedly explain to people, that if I behaved in the way that is, if you like, truly what I am, then I wouldn't be able to draw people into me because they'd basically back off from the off. So if I was to meet, a, I often explain, if I was to meet an attractive lady in the bar and I sidled up to her and said, hello, my name's H.G. Tudor, I'm a narcissistic psychopath, how do you fancy being my girlfriend so I can abuse you? She'd scream, throw a drink in my face most likely and run away. Well, I've just lost control of her. What an idiotic thing to do. So instead... I fit in with the idea of being a polite, engaging, magnetic, good-looking, smelling good man who tells a few jokes and wins her over. Would you like to have more empathy or to be able to just experience it, what we, the rest of us maybe experience even for an hour? I think it would be interesting to experience it just to see what it's like. I can conceptualise it. I hear a lot about it and I watch it. Um, that's why I understand it so well because I've seen it manifest in so many other people. Um, I would not want to be saddled with it because I see it as a weakness. And I understand that. And and are you able, to, able then to enjoy movies and books and things where you are invited to empathise with some of the main characters? I, again, am able to intellectualise a situation so that I can see that something is well acted, that it's well written, that it's got an engaging uh, uh, plot arc, that type of thing. But I don't feel for the characters invariably I spend my time having to bite my tongue as to their stupidity and idiocy so as to avoid, uh, for instance, my girlfriend tutting or shushing me for, for making such a remark because, again, that goes to the issue of control. Sometimes I will say it because I can't hold, keep my contempt at uh, bay. But for the most part, I don't, I don't root for anybody that's on the screen. I don't feel for them. But I can watch it and find it interesting, but I don't feel anything from it. I would say you're missing out. And I, I, not that you can do much about it, but it's it's a really, really beautiful feeling. I can't, I can almost, it's almost undescribe, indescribable, the the feeling of of rooting for a character and, and becoming emotional about a piece of a piece of art where you are invited to empathise with one of the protagonists or something. It's 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 really it's really something, and I wish you could have that. Well, I acknowledge your good intentions in that regard. Uh, for me. Uh, in the cold way that I evaluate these things that uh, I understand your upside to it but I also see with those things that there's a weakness because it means you become attached to certain things so for instance um, I can never understand why people keep pets why on earth would you have something that's going to be dead in 10 years time and then you're going to cry about it that seems to me idiotic (laughs) but you said yourself I mean as a narcissist you need to sort of work off of people and for people's energy Mm. and I think a pet does that it's sort of a an easy way to be loved you don't really have to do very much except feed it and it loves you unconditionally well uh, yes I've witnessed that there's plenty of cupboard love that goes on with animals and uh uh, a former intimate partner, primary source of mine that had a number of dogs, I repeatedly commented about that as such, where she was, oh, they love me. I said, only when you're feeding them, of course. That's all they care about, their stomachs. But I know there's people that disagree with me and they're entitled to do so. But animals just simply aren't for me. And it's that case of, whilst I acknowledge what you're saying, one doesn't miss that which one's never had. 
How's your, you speak of your girlfriend, is she aware of your, your condition? No. And, and is she aware of, of bad, I mean, is she having a nice time? Is she happy with you? Naturally. Hmm. Because a lot of women who end up with narcissistic men are not happy. No, indeed. And there is always that period of devaluation that comes along. The advantage that we have is we do not spend a huge amount of time together as a consequence of what we both do professionally. So that adds longevity to the situation. If we were with one another a lot, it's invariably the case it would go down that road off travelled where I would become bored and therefore in order to uh, reignite my interest, one then has to play. And that means invariably the devaluing behaviour. And do you wish that weren't the case, or are you just sort of, you know, that's what's going to happen next? That's how one functions. I see. Tell me a little bit about the ultra framework. Well, that's the framework that I've devised to help people understand primarily about narcissism, so that there is this framework of the categorization of various narcissists. One of the difficulties that exists so far, where the terminology that's used by other people is that it's f- too broad. So, for instance, people say covert narcissist. Now, it's helpful to an extent, but there are. it's better to talk about covert behaviours or grandiose behaviours or vulnerable behaviours rather than a classification of narcissist. And so what I've done is I've created this framework which takes into account lots of different uh, criteria so that people can then understand the type of narcissist that they are dealing with in whatever scenario that is, and therefore they can have a better appreciation of interpreting the behaviours to aid their understanding, and also to understand what that person may do, and just as importantly, what they may not do. A lot of people are misled by fear and their emotional thinking that causes them to believe that the narcissist is going to do far worse things than they actually do, and that's not to diminish the terrible things that narcissists do do towards people. But there are instances and many instances where I consult with people where they're led to think, oh, this narcissist is going to chase me to the end of the earth and grind me into dust. No, not necessarily. Uh, In fact, that's unusual for that to happen. So this classification basically has what I call lesser narcissists, mid-range narcissists, greater narcissists, and then there's me, the ultra. And then lesser, mid-range, and greater are subdivided into lower, lesser, middle, lesser, upper, lesser, A, upper, lesser, B, lower, mid-range, middle, mid-range, A, middle, mid-range, B, upper, mid-range, and then lower, greater, middle, greater, and upper, greater. And there's all different characteristics and facets of behaviours that go with that. It's a particularly detailed uh, lexicon for those various categories and it really helps people understand i'm not a psychologist i'm simply giving you the worldview of me and my kind to help people understand and and are you quite common your kind did, did we did I, have i already asked that you haven't uh, my kind as the ultra no i i sit in the category of one because there's nobody else giving this level of insight so I know the immediate response is, well, that's rather grandiose of you to put yourself in a category of one. If you think that, so be it. But it is a fact. I'm relaying this level of information and insight, so that's my classification. There, so I'm an aware narcissist. There are other aware narcissists. They're the greaters. And they know what they are. They may not use the same terminology as me. They won't necessarily talk about fuel. They may call it something else, but it's essentially the same thing. And they know that they use people. They know that they manipulate people, but that they don't do is go around admitting it the whole time because that's the act of an idiot. And why not show your face? I suppose that might be the act of an idiot as well. Well, several reasons. It's about the conveyance of the information rather than actually me waving my hands around on the screen and what I look like. My anonymity is very important. 
because if the knowledge of what I am leaked into what I do professionally, it would compromise my need for control considerably, and therefore I must remain anonymous. You don't need to see me to understand the topic, and if I were to do that, I would be recognised, and then that recognition would cause problems for me professionally, and I don't want that to happen. It's quite unnerving interviewing you. And I think you're aware of that, of course. And you spoke of how you are manipulating me. And I wonder, because I can't see you right now, and that creates, I guess, another sort of power balance. Do, do you watch me? Have you been watching me? Uh, and maybe this is a stereotype of, of psychopathic behavior in particular, but are you dissecting my body language and, and thinking about ways to move me around? I'm not thinking of ways to move you around because the interview's progressing in an entirely satisfactory way to me um i'm of course watching you because your the look in your eyes your facial expression your body language combined with what you say andrew and your tone is all fuel for me so i'm drinking that in but as i mentioned earlier on you and i don't know and this is the first time we've spoken we had a very limited email exchange so you're a tertiary source so your fuel isn't that potent to me however i'm getting quite a lot of fuel from you because other than being physically present to you i can see and hear everything else that's going on but there isn't it isn't a situation where i think right um i'm wanting andrew basically to send me half a million pounds so how do i maneuver him into that basically you're asking me fair questions i'm i'm answering them for you so my aims associated with this interview are being met if i'm giving you that fuel is it possible that i'm manipulating you no because you are not manipulative by nature you will engage in manipulative behavior as i mentioned earlier on but the fact is you're not consciously deciding at this juncture whether to give me that fuel or not you just are now if you decided that you were going to try and stay stock still and then you wouldn't say anything to me whatsoever then that would be a form of manipulation because you've decided that you're not going to give me any fuel. But the fact is, that's not going to cause me any major problems because after a while, I'll notice the expression in your eyes will change and you'll immediately give me some fuel and your mouth will move in a particular way. So it's very difficult for people to stay stock still and give no fuel. So you could stay silent so you don't say anything, so there's no tone and no words. But, for instance, even if you tried not to do it and as I'm talking, you'll, you'll suddenly nod, as you just did then, to comp so that you're comprehending what I'm saying. So you just gave me a little bit of fuel then. And if you tried to stop yourself completely from moving, you'd manage it for 20, 30 seconds. But then something would happen. I wouldn't want to do that anyway, because it would make for quite a static image. I guess, I mean... And this is the thing. I am. I am into. You know. I do manage. We all manage our public impressions as well. And it's. I, this is for a YouTube page. And I'm probably not exactly the same person um, as you know. You, you know, on the screen as I am in real life. There's probably some slight differences. Although I wouldn't be able to actually point out what they uh, necessarily are. But when you're t when you talk of fuel, is it is it think you know uh, signs suggesting that I'm interested that what you're saying is interesting me? That is fuel. Um, but fuel comes in both positive and negative styles. So the fact that you, uh, when you nod and when you go, mm-hmm, showing that you're comprehending what I'm saying, you're taking an interest in what I'm saying. If, for instance, you leant back in your chair as if you were bored of what I was saying, put your hands behind your head and rolled your eyes, you're still giving me fuel, but it's of a negative nature and it's challenge fuel because you're basically suggesting to me that I'm rather dull and I don't like that. 
And therefore, in the circumstances, you're threatening my control when you do that. So I would have to do something to stop what you're doing. So it might be to call you out on that behavior and say, well, I didn't expect you to be as rude as this young man. And then cause you to then laugh and then respond to me. Bang, I've got you back under control. Or, for instance, if I was sat here with somebody else, I'm not. But if I was... I could, I might remark and say, oh, who, who, who's this dickhead? Who does he think he is? And this person agreed with saying, yes, he's damn rude, isn't he? Their confirmation that your behavior is below par gives me an unconscious, uh, subconscious rather sense of control over you. Or I could just, if I was particularly petulant, say, thank you very much and end the interview. And then because I've basically done that, I've asserted control by ending it. It's my choice. Of course, what? I'm the ultra, so one wouldn't behave in such a childish manner as that. There are far, far easier ways of bringing you back under control. But the point is, if I said something particularly nasty to you that moved you to the point of tears, that's negative fuel, but it, I lap it up because I've made you cry. And that's an exhibition of power because it's far harder to make somebody cry or become angry than it is to make them laugh and make you smile. So negative fuel is more potent than positive fuel. But everything that you do when you interact with me, you'll be providing me with fuel of some description. So sometimes it's pure fuel, pure positive. So for instance, that was a really interesting answer, HG. Thank you that you've just given me pure positive fuel. Or if you were to get upset at something I had said, pure negative fuel. If you started then to accuse me of something, you'd be perhaps getting angry with me. So you'd be giving me negative fuel, but of a challenge fuel. So I'd have to deal with the threat to control. So pure fuel and challenge fuel are both forms of fuel. That's all good for me. Pure fuel's the best because you'll give me control and fuel. Challenge fuel is next best. You're giving me fuel, but you're challenging me. But that's not such an issue for one such as I. I can manage the, the threat to control. The worst thing that you could do is ignore me. And I often say, love me, hate me, but never ignore me. So, for instance, if you picked up your phone and started having a conversation with somebody else now, you'd wound me. And I wouldn't like that because you'd starve me of some fuel and you'd be signaling to me that I'm not important. And in my world, I have to be important. So at that juncture, I'd either have to do something to get your attention back onto me or I can't smear you to anybody because I'm on my own. So I most likely think, right, fuck you and then end the call man it's it's fascinating really would were you suggesting that you'd you'd enjoy making me cry would you have ways of going about that i'm interested just because i, I was interviewing an ex-scientologist recently and one of the things they do is called bull baiting where you are supposed to look into someone's eyes and just say horrible things and i just remember thinking i don't think it, i don't think it could get to me i, I and that's, that's not because i've got a thick skin no and I, I also doing it that way you're you're setting that person up immediately by saying i'm now going to try and make you cry so you're immediately <laughs> going to try your level best not to do so the easiest thing to do is is to lure somebody in and make them think that you like them and that they're your friend or that they're interested in you. And then you can throw the curveball, if necessary, to upset them. They don't see it coming. But by being overly aggressive and confrontational at the beginning, with most people, bar particularly sensitive individuals, they're more likely just to think you're an arsehole and walk away from you and you've lost control of them. So it's better to gain that person's trust. Also remember that with most narcissists also, there's nothing to be served from immediately upsetting you. It's better that there is a, an interaction which is conducive. And of course, you're painted white. You haven't caused a problem for me. So you are painted white. 
if you were to do something that threatened my control, you would perhaps then become painted black, but I would deal with it so promptly that your status as painted black wouldn't mean that I'd need to punish you. What kind of comments do you get on your YouTube channel? I mean, are there any that get to you that annoy you? And I'll just, I'll just use an example. I, I, I know with Emmy Thomas, the psychopath, people would often say that she's not really a psychopath and they don't believe her. And I think that was probably frustrating for her. The comments that irritate me invariably are where I've explained something in a video and then somebody completely misunderstands what I've explained or does the opposite of what I've just and I've just explained it to them so a little example of that is as you know I do a number of videos about Harry's wife and in that of course the Princess of Wales gets mentioned and often many of the pieces of journalism that I quote refer to her as Kate Middleton and I make it very clear I'm not calling her that I'm reading the article notwithstanding the fact that I say that there's always some epsilon semi-moron in the comments section that will go why do you keep calling her Kate Middleton and I've just isn't that her name well it is but she yes I mean that's a maiden name isn't it but at the end of the day all I'm doing is quoting it and you could argue it's a name but the point is the fact that that person is such a dunderhead that they've not listened properly to what I've explained irritates me now what I do it's a moment of irritation what I usually do is either just ignore the comment so that's the third assertion of control I ignore them or occasionally I'll respond and set them straight and that's a direct assertion of control but it doesn't make me lose any sleep but I do get irritated by certain comments. It Generally, if somebody says, H.G. Uh, Tudor, you're a complete arsehole and you don't know what you're talking about, I just find that laughable because I know what I'm talking about. And the comments like that just make me laugh. If somebody comes along and says, oh, you live in your mother's basement and you've got no friends, well, I know I don't. And again, that just makes me laugh at the, at the idiocy of such a comment. It's generally, I, I don't like stupid people. And it's where people exhibit idiocy. That's what I find irritating. Her name's... On Wikipedia, her name's Catherine, Princess of Wales. That's fucking mad. Is that her name now? Well, that's her title, isn't it? So she's called Catherine, yeah. and she is the Princess of Wales. So I suppose her surname is whatever has been provided <laughs> to her by her husband, isn't it? Winds what Winsor. the hell are their surnames? So it's either is it Windsor or is, it, is she a Mountbatten as well? I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Fucking mad. That whole thing. Um, I was going to ask you if yeah, if you if you do have some sort of examples of very famous narcissists, and I suppose uh, Meghan Markle is a good place to start. I do want to uh, apologise in advance to those who do feel I've I've moaned myself too much about Meghan Markle. I've had a couple of reviews stating that, but this isn't my fault. This is that HG Tudor has uh, done. No, no, no. We're not having any blame. Not having any blame shifting here, Andrew. <laughs> trying to put it onto me. Um, yeah. Well, those those people who have complained about you moaning about her, then they really have failed to see the evidence of her behaviour. And uh, individuals like that, there are some people that can look at it and realise they were wrong. But a lot of the time, they're pretty dim-witted and they're in entrenched positions. I mean, there's lots of famous narcissists, of course. Um, the recent outgoing Prime Minister in the United Kingdom, good old Bojo, is a great example of someone who's utterly self-serving. Um, but he knows what he is. And this whole bumbling Boris uh, routine is an act. And he positively delighted in getting away with it. It was a big game to him, how far he could push it, how he laughed at him. I think it was Max Hastings who described Johnson as saying, the only people that like him are the people that don't actually know him. 
because once you get to know him you realize what an absolute nasty individual he is that will trample on anybody around him so uh, there are lots of famous narcissists of different types of course are you speaking of bojo and his narcissism with disdain or with um you know pride in in narcissism or just just matter-of-factly? Matter-of-factly, really. I have no loyalty to other narcissists. A lot of narcissists are absolute idiots and clowns and deserve all they get in terms of being given the runaround by people and they're haphazard and they can't regulate themselves. So I have no loyalty to them. There are others where I have a degree of admiration for, their, for what they've achieved. Because remember, there are many narcissists that bring a lot of good into the world. Uh, I often explain, for instance, take Steve Jobs. I'm talking to you on one of his devices. I use his devices regularly, and I find them useful. Um, but if you were to ask Steve Wozniak what he thought about him and what his ex-partner and his daughter think about him, they'll give you a different view altogether. So there's invariably somebody who's a casualty of the narcissist behavior. But for many people, particularly with famous narcissists, well, you know, there are many narcissists in the world of uh, rock and pop music and authors and actors and actresses you don't know them personally they're never going to cause you a problem you just enjoy what they're able to do and invariably those type of people are best served at providing um that enriched experience in terms of being superlative actors and actresses and pop stars and so forth because they have no sense of shame it's all about them and intrinsically narcissists are actors that's why so many end up in the acting game yeah, on that note, might anyone who uh, intends to lead the country or believes that they are capable of leading an entire country be a narcissist? Not necessarily uh, the case, because some people just have great self-belief and understand that they can do it. But most of the time, when it comes to positions of leadership within countries and politics, naturally, that is very attractive to our kind. Why? you get your hands on the reins of power. What does power allow you to do? Control people, draw fuel from them. You have vast reservoirs of character traits that you can acquire and huge residual benefits, networks, access to secrecy, money, a facade. So politics is a huge draw to my kind. And that then creates an environment where in order to thrive and survive in it, the best people equipped to do so are what? Narcissists. So it becomes a sort of self-perpetuating environment. Sure, some non-narcissists do well out of it, but a lot of the ones that actually go in there with proper well intentions get chewed up and spat out or just remain bolted to the back benches. And it's invariably the narcissists that are ones because they'll trample on anybody, they're self-serving, uh, their narcissism propels them forward. And, of course, as we've often seen, it's all about what's good for the narcissist. Occasionally, that tends to be good for the country as well, but not always. Narcissist comes first. What, what is it about Meghan Markle that you, you find so obviously narcissistic? Well, she exhibits a rampant sense of entitlement that she can do what she wants, irrespective of what goes on around her. So she demonstrates the hypocrisies of, I'm going to join an institution that's been around for centuries, and then I'm going to tell it how it should conduct itself. I believe it should always be my way and now i've got a title i can speak to you like you're something on the bottom of my shoe which exhibits an absence of emotional empathy she exhibits no accountability for her behavior so she goes on oprah and chats nonsense telling lies revising history and then expects that when she returns everybody will welcome her with open arms which shows the compartmentalization of the narcissist uh, she exhibits black and white thinking she shows the whole array and she's very obvious and She's an excellent example because her need to 
gain the prime aims means that she utilizes the media over and over again with PR puff pieces and paid publicity. So you can't go anywhere without her popping up in your feed or such like. And also, by the same token, the media knows that she draws attention. So she's good for advertising and good for clicks. So you have this double whammy of she has to put herself in the public eye and the public eye wants her there because lots of people are interested in it, mainly in a train wreck rubbernecking situation these days. Of my audience, I know that there is a section that are interested in narcissism. There's also a section that didn't know anything about narcissism and then they embraced the Harry's Wife series and thought, actually, I now understand more about narcissism and I've realised that my relationship is one with a narcissist, which is precisely the main purpose for which that work's designed. And then there's a solid core of people who just don't like Harry's wife. And therefore, they just enjoy hearing about all of her ridiculous behaviours. And in order, basically, to stop me getting bored, I have to be quite sarcastic about her. Otherwise, it just becomes utterly tedious because she's a tedious individual. And she doesn't know what she is. And if I was to sit down with her and explain it all to her, her narcissism would just reject it. No matter how brilliantly I would explain it to her, her narcissism is a hermetically sealed defense mechanism. And she would just accuse me of being a, a hateful racist or would just basically, if she knew what I was, she would say, well, you're bound to say that about me. You're a narcissist. And would just go on about my narcissism because she's completely unable to recognize hers. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Would that often be narcissism then on what we might call the um, social justice activists, mm -hmm. people who think they have a higher cause, but really it's often about them? That's absolutely right. Narcissists occupy the right, the center and the left. And invariably, there's a certain core celebre that a narcissist can adopt. And we see it repeatedly amongst those that claim to be liberals, the sort of what's labeled woke. Um, and in a way, one can sometimes think they're somewhat more odious than your typical right-winger because the right-winger is almost kind of, well, we don't want immigrants coming into this country. It's my country. I don't want my taxes helping poor people sod them. And it's fairly obvious uh, uh, selfishness. Whereas with those on the sort of social justice warrior side of things, uh, they appear to care and they think that they care. But of course, their behavior invariably exhibits that they don't. So again using the example of harry's wife that she thinks that she's there promoting sort of ethnic minorities and that this time i'm now going to be friends to the asians and so in her latest podcast she basically explains oh i know all about asians because i've eaten asian food and i've been to a korean spa i mean th that in itself is uh, arrogant uh, high-handed and you might even suggest that it's racist because you're stereotyping the asian experience based off just eating some food and going to a korean spa but she can't see that and so many of these individuals, what they do is they will say, I am allowed to say what I want to say. You must listen to me, freedom of speech. And as soon as you then say, but I disagree with you, you're not allowed to disagree with me. That's hate speech. No, that's a constructive disagreement I'm having with you. And you see it repeatedly um, on the Internet. 
that the, there are people that shout and scream about, uh, and it infects so many areas. Uh, J.K. Rowling has found herself being a victim of this with the allegations that have been made against her about being um, transphobic, where she's actually pro-women. And you can be both. You can be uh, pro-women without being transphobic. But she has then been lambasted by certain voices, and there will be narcissists in that group. And of course, if they are listening to me say this now, they will be going, "No, we're not. No, we're not." She's, you know, this. Uh, does it turf or something? They call her, and that uh, she's an awful human being. No, she's not. Think about how much joy she's brought into people's lives through her novels that are known throughout the world. And she sees something which she feels strongly about, and she expresses her opinion. But she's shouted down about it, and she's threatened and, and trolled on Twitter, etc by these individuals who have fake empathy. They believe they're decent people. No, not all of these individuals are narcissists. Often they're normal people whose emotional empathy for another person they don't really know is blunted. But behind all of this, the true believers, those are the narcissists. And you'll find many of them on the left as you do on the right. I think what got me about Megan, and I'm speaking to listeners here who, who are upset by my traipsing on about it, uh, I, I listened to that first episode of her podcast, and she was sort of kept putting herself on the same level as Serena Williams, who's one of the most remarkable people in history. Like, she's just the most remarkable. And she kept saying people like me and Serena, she kept talking about how people hate women who have ambition. But she never stated what her ambition was. We know what Serena's was, but I'm not sure what Megan's was was particularly is supposed to be in line with feminism but as far as i could tell it was about becoming a princess and only really one or two people in the world can do that at any given time and i wouldn't say that's the bastion of feminism is it but i got sh- i said that and i got i got shouted down as a uh, for being a man who who's ah well well there we are you see we, we clearly don't understand it because uh, we're male but again what she's doing there is she is acquiring the character traits of serena williams to suggest that she's on a par with her so part of it's delusion, because she's not. So how many Grand Slams have you won, Harry's wife? Mm. None. Zero. Okay. Yeah. And you see this with her. I call her the Duchess of Industrial Beige, because there's really nothing there. Now, you get some narcissists who are achievers. We mentioned some earlier on. But there, she's acquiring that character trait to make her seem like she is of the same ilk as Serena Williams, and she's not. And she will do that repeatedly. She thinks that she is on a par or actually slightly better than the person that's being interviewed because you'll notice as well she's a very poor interviewer because she talks and talks and talks about herself and occasionally the other person gets to say something have you given much thought to people like i've been doing a lot of work recently on tom cruise and you know he's basically a cult leader but comes across as this sort of nice affable guy in interviews well i think um there's uh i think you know doug don't you Yes. Yeah. So you know Doug's ex- own experience of being involved with uh, Scientology, etc. Mm-hmm. Doug Scott uh, Kramer, the ex-Scientologist, yeah. Yeah. So he knows a lot of the background about which, obviously, the world of Tom Cruise has been involved in. And I'm. we were due to actually have a conversation about the cruiser last Friday, but the internet gods got in the way of to Doug's yes. end, so that didn't happen. But it's something we are going to discuss because Tom Cruise is an excellent example um, to put under what I call the Tudor scope at some juncture. But I was wanting to get some additional information from Doug as part of my fact-finding. Ah, well, maybe we can – because I'm planning to do a live with him, so maybe we can do a three-way at some point or something like that. I'm always up for a three-way. 
Oh yeah, we're getting on, HG Tudor. Am I? Am you, I? Your... You, you might even become a secondary source. You might become a friend. My fuel is starting to mean a lot to you, and then I then I'll just suddenly take it away, and you'll be crushed. That's not very empathic of you. Which is why I probably won't do that. <laughs> hey, why do you make your channel warning others about the perils of narcissism? Because. Part of it uh, is about this legacy, that's, and I've repeatedly explained. I have to have control, and the biggest threat to my control is death, irrespective of what you might believe, that at the end, we're all going to shuffle off this mortal coil, and this wonderful meat suit that I occupy has got plenty of life in it yet, so I'm not going anywhere, but at one point I will die, and that's a threat to my control. Whereas at that point when either I go off into some morphine-induced uh, la-la land or whatever it happens to be, I'll know that my legacy will live on after my death, that my videos will be there, my books will be there, all these people will be affected by what I've taught them, and therefore I'll live on. And therefore that threat to my control has been alleviated. And so that's very important to me. Also, a lot of information about narcissism is quite simply incomplete or wrong. And that also offends my notion of control. And because I don't like stupidity, and when people come along and they say things about narcissism, sometimes it's it's an honest misunderstanding, and that's absolutely fine. But part of it is saying, no, this is how it actually is. And I'm not saying this to say that we are amazing creatures. A lot of my kind are complete scum. But it's just to explain to people, this is the way we function. This is the way that we operate, so that people have that understanding. I'm not doing it because I care. I'm doing it because it suits my purposes. Very Shakespearean, this uh, desire to live on through some other means, through your work. Well, if there was a way, Andrew, of downloading the essence of who I am and uploading it into another meat suit, I'd be all for it. But so far, that hasn't happened. So maybe next time I speak to Elon, he might be interested in doing something along those lines. I would do that as well. I want Absolutely. to live forever. Yeah. Have, you, have you considered the evolutionary necessity for narcissists in a tribe? What is interesting is that there is sort of two elements to it in that obviously the tribe was a collective and realized that it worked more effectively. It goes back to the, it takes a village to raise a child, etc. And then there was an aberration in terms of the formation of a narcissist. Now, the point is that a narcissist could do very well in dealing with a conflicting tribe where there is a dispute over, say, assets, there being enough food. That narcissist is motivated by their selfishness, but to make it look good for the tribe, to say, what we're going to do is we're going to go and raid their food stores tonight. No boundary recognition, sense of entitlement. And therefore, that tribe survives. So therefore, there is an evolutionary necessity there that that individual behaves in what might be seen as a morally reprehensible manner, but it allows the survival of that particular tribe at the expense of another one so we do we do serve a purpose of course many people who'd be on the receiving end of our behaviors would say you absolutely do not and i get that i understand that but there are instances and of course that desire to be uh, king of the world which boris johnson once talked about when he was a teenager but that desire to be at the top of the tree invariably causes our kind to invent and research and create which ultimately somebody gets trampled. But if you, if you adopt a utilitarian approach and say that this person's absolute resolve to find a way of making cars run on water saves so much of the planet, even though a few people have got cheesed off because he stole the patents from them and so on and so forth, people will say greatest good for the greatest number of people. He served a purpose. How does one leave a narcissist in a relationship? Quickly. 
where you're able to do so. Uh, you certainly don't tell them what you're going to do, and you make it complete. So you move as far away as you possibly can from that individual. Uh, you make it so that they can't find where you are. You ensure that you change your telephone number. You stay off social media for a period of time. You change email addresses. You're very circumspect about who you tell about where you are and what you're doing. But essentially, it's all set out in one of my books, No Contact, which goes into it in detail. But essentially, it must be complete. Now, I recognize in some instances can't. You've got a divorce to sort out. There may be children and so forth. So there are other considerations there. But you should always aim for there to be a total no contact. And most people don't actually understand what that is. Can a super empath break a narcissist? Well, I have a video about that very topic. So I would direct people to that because I'm conscious of uh, the hour coming up. So That's right. That's right. Where do you want to send people? So your channel, books, social media? Yeah, I have a blog, which is narcsite, N-A-R-C-S-I-T-E dot com, where you can read hundreds of articles entirely gratis about the world of the narcissist. Or you can listen to my delightful stentorian tones at... H.G. Tudor, Knowing the Narcissist, the Ultra, which is my YouTube channel. And the material from the blog also goes out on Twitter and on Facebook as Knowing the Narcissist, H.G. Tudor. H.G. Tudor, thank you for being on The Edge. Thank you very much for inviting me here, Andrew. Thank you to my fascinating, self-obsessed guest. Is there any other kind? Just kidding. Um, H.G. Tudor. Yes, I'm sure many of you will be thinking that I could have pushed back more about some of the morality of his behavior, particularly around playing with his girlfriend and her psyche for kicks. But I think to push back or moralize would be missing the point, even if it did make me look good. H.G. Tudor is literally a psychopathic narcissist. Or was it a narcissistic psychopath? Anyway, he has no interest in my moralizing. And I want to do candid interviews where interviewees feel free to be open and so that we can learn from all kinds of different people. Do check out HG Tudor's channel and his books in the show notes. If you liked this, please review on Apple. So I got a new one from Moa Consumer, New Weekly Listen, they wrote. They're in the UK, gave five stars, and they wrote, Andrew is a brilliant interviewer and has amazing and insightful guests on. It's become my new favourite podcast to listen to on a weekly basis. He's very humble, <laughs> as I read this out. He's very humble, and I don't think he quite realises how impactful and brilliant his podcasts really are. Oh, thank you. Keep up the good work, and I'm sure there will be great things in the future for this podcast and Andrew thank you so much what a lovely thing to read I always say this there's this bit where I open the email I have no idea it's usually in the morning and I don't know if it's going to be a five or a two it takes a few days to come through in my email inbox after someone leaves a review and the other side of that comes from Sheriff Lucy who gave two stars and wrote ads with an angry face and they wrote if I hear another ad for and it's I'm going to say it's a, it's a name of a podcaster and I'll say why well, I won't say it now um, I'll go mad writes sheriff lucy twice back to back at the start of each episode brackets why question mark question mark then usually twice more during the episode we get it your mates you both got podcasts good for you enough of the repeat ads well uh, i've included this i didn't say the name you'll know it if you're listening to it with ads at the moment but i don't think it's fair on this person in their podcast to be sort of linked to this negative uh review 
Just to explain the way it works with ads is that we do a swap. Um, I'm just telling you how the sausage is made, which is my favorite expression. We do a swap where, for example, we'll do 300 or 400,000 exchanges. And if that podcaster is really big, let's say they've got 500,000 listens per episode or something mad like that, it means that my ad for my show will go in their podcast just once. But to reach 500,000 impressions... For mine, it's going to have to come up quite a lot of times. So that's why it's been heard so often. However, they shouldn't be being played back to back. Uh, And I do apologize for that. It must be infuriating to listen to. Um, I don't really have any control over it, but I have emailed um, to ask that they separate them out a little bit and hopefully they will get onto that. They said they would now. So hopefully there'll be that, but all I can do is apologize for having to hear the same advert over and over it is infuriating um it's not because that we're mates and i'm trying to show off or whatever or or do him a favor it's uh, just because i owe that amount of impressions back to him anyway thank you everyone who didn't lower my average review uh by giving me a two-star rating and angry faces and things thanks for the continued listening and support i hope you enjoy today's episode and i'll be seeing you really soon i've got some big episodes coming up Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.